Welcome to the latest in our podcast series, In the Know, where we explore current investment issues with one of our investment partners. But today we're rejoined, actually, by a returning guest from the past, Chris Brown from IPS Capital. Morning, Chris. Morning. Hope you're well. Um, thank you very much for joining us this morning to talk about what's going on in the markets currently. Um, I'm going to start with an opening question, really, um, and this is to do with the FTSE 100. If I look back over the last 12 months, the FTSE 100 has risen by a little over 21% in total, which is a fantastic return and possibly reflects the recovery following the pandemic. But if I then look further out over the last five years, it's returned just a modest little over 3%. Have you got any views on that? Yeah, I have. I would give you three kind of high level views on that. Firstly, the longer term return has been poor. And I think one of the big reasons for that is if you think a lot of the value creation that's been done in the last, call it 10, 15 years, has been new companies. So I think there's been uh, 10 companies started in the last 10 years worth over $100 billion. And that would include um, things like Tencent and Alibaba in China. And then some of the obvious US names like Netflix or whatever it might be. So, um, but all of those companies have grown and been created either in China or in the US, not in the UK. So a lot of the value creation in markets has gone on outside the UK and that's hurt. And then secondly, if you think of a company like Amazon and the success story that's been, part of this success has been at the cost, if you like, of legacy businesses. And some of those legacy businesses are in the UK. So if you think about Marks & Spencer, if you think about House of Fraser, whatever it might be, they have suffered. So you've had a kind of double whammy, which is the growth has been outside the UK, the new businesses. And this is not, there aren't many, lots of fantastic businesses in the UK, but, but a lot of them have been outside, especially the fastest growing ones. And they've been hurting UK companies. So yeah, so the performance of the UK has not been great. Um, the performance of international equities has been very good. And if you put the two together, you tend to get pretty good performance. So that's the, that's the first thing. The second thing is more recent. So the second point you made was about the more recent performance of 20%. And is that sustainable? Yeah. I think when we look at it, you've got, you've got quite a good tailwind in the UK right now. So for all the reasons I've just described, the UK remains pretty unloved and at a low multiple. And then there are a lot of companies like House of Fraser is one, which is um, now owned by Mark Ashley, part of his group, that are being restructured. They're going to make, I think, quite good money. So we have had a very strong trailing 12 months on our specific UK names. And those UK names, which are often in the Vanguard sort of FTSE 250 or the FTSE 250 type market, have done well. And we think have got a great runway. Because we think their earnings are going to continue being strong. The economy is strong. You've got pretty stable government, whether you like it or not. I don't think it's going to change. Mm. Uh, and you've got a lot of stimulus. So we're super, we're, we're pretty positioned for growth in those names, the 250. Now, you mentioned specifically the 100, okay? Yes. Yes, I did. Yeah. But the 100, it's not so obvious to me because that's more international. Mm. And I think there, you, there you've got a headwind, which is, you know, two important components. Well, one important component would be banks and miners of the 100. They're global companies geared to commodities, but they have some structural headwinds which has hurt them. And one of them has been the growth of uh, what's called ESG investing or uh, environmentally focused investing. 
focusing on governance, focusing on the impacts of these businesses on society. And a lot of these companies like BP and Shell are just on the wrong side of that as a trend, which has hurt them again. So, so I think for the larger cap names, the FTSE 100, we find it harder to get too optimistic about forward-looking returns. For the more yeah. UK-focused companies, we're, we're, we're bullish and we still like them. So that, that suggests that perhaps, you know, the all share, if we're looking at the UK, is a, uh, is a better option, but there's still a heavy reliance on returns coming from overseas. Am I right in that? Yes. Yeah, I think that is right because I think, yes. So I think when you're looking at, you know, I think as an investor, you want to be as diversified as you can and you want to own the growth where it is. You, you need to own the new businesses. And for whatever reason, I think it really is a reason of scale, actually. I just think China has, you know, whatever it is, a billion people. I don't know how many hundreds of millions of consumers. The US has 360, 370 million consumers ready in a captive market. And so that when a new product comes along, you can scale it very fast in those markets and then expand overseas. And it's just harder to do that in the UK. Not impossible. We've got many great businesses, but, but they have this kind of natural structural advantage. I don't see that going away. So, um, so we, we we are we have more in the more international than we have in the UK, even though we like the UK as a market. Yeah. Okay. It's interesting you mentioned that you know the UK has been a bit unloved, although recently there's been an awful lot of interest in takeovers of quite some quite large companies. Now Morrison's being a very good example. Um, what's driving that? Do you think? The um, well, I think they're cheap. Mm-hmm. That is just a, a good advantage on your side. And I think, again, that applies more to the sort of mid-cap names, which can be bought private equity than the large-cap names. So I think it would be harder for an HSBC or a Lloyd or possibly for a Shell to get that kind of thing. But they are cheap, and that is an advantage. And then secondly, I think the you've been a big – you've seen a large switch in allocation from especially U.S. institutions into private equity. And so there's a lot of money in that space and venture capital as well, actually. Uh, and these guys have money to invest. So I think that structural money flowing in is carrying on. That's going to be, these are long lock-up vehicles. That's going to be around for a while. So I think this sort of supportive bid for UK businesses should be around. So it sh- again, it should be a support for the market. So if we, if we look back over the last you know, 18 months, two years, we've had the pandemic. We've had enormous amounts of, support from central government for economies are we getting to the point where that's going to be running out we saw of course the fed last week talk about tapering down their support with quantitative easing are we coming to the end yeah i think well in in an ideal world if you're being optimistic you would want it to come to an end because Mm -hmm. it's a bit like your patient isn't very well and when it's recovered it doesn't need the medicine anymore so your dream is to stop taking the medicine so that is my hope but in terms of the year, I think the first sort of four months of the year, you saw the stimulus come in, the Fed were very supportive, the economy was strong, and people were very focused and worried that it would run too hot and we'd see inflation coming back. And that was the concern. And then I think what's happened really since sort of May-ish onwards is two things have happened. One is the Delta variant has come, and that has meant people are less optimistic. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a variant of the virus that spreads faster and looks to it looks like it might be a bit nastier as well from a sort of hospitalization count. Either way, that meant it's the exit from the to restrictions. The lockdown's been slower than people thought and we might need booster shots, but it's got people more focused on worrying about 
growth than it has worrying about things running too hot. And yeah. then secondly, uh, the Chinese government, we were talk- I was talking a bit about earlier about the sort of new businesses that have been created. So the Alibaba's, the Tencent's, whatever they might be in China. Um, the Chinese government is cracking down on those pretty hard right now. And it does not want to see too much money being made in some of these internet type businesses, which are natural monopolies or, or compete with government provided services like healthcare. So this Chinese sort of increased legislation, increased sort of activity of the communist government has meant that China and EM looks like it's slowing a bit more than people thought. Well, certainly the stock markets sort of come off a bit. So those two things have meant that, that I think the market has switched from worrying about growth and things running too hot to starting to worry about um, growth not being strong enough and things being cooler. And that's what we've seen for the last four months. As you've been talking there, Chris, I've been listening very carefully to some of the language that you've used. You've used things like optimism, fear, that that kind, kind of thing. And that really brings me back to your quarter two market commentary, where you talked about the psychology of money and what impacts on markets in over the short and the longer term. Could we just expand on that a little bit? Because I found that particularly interesting because you use terms in there about fear and greed and how hard it is to predict the next quarter's results, et cetera, because the markets are driven purely by emotion. Yeah, I think um, one of the joys of my life is I get to write every three months uh, a review for clients. <laughs> and part of the trick is you you end up naturally, because you do it every three months, talking about shorter term things. And you talk about new developments and news and for all those good reasons. But you know, in that review, I just wanted to make the point that most of the developments that happen in most of the returns that you make in shorter term periods are driven by emotion. So they're driven by, yeah, really whether people are feeling optimistic and good about life and they're happy to pay up for assets or they're feeling pessimistic, worried and, and want to sell the things they own. Right? And a lot of that is psychology. So, so if you think about the rest of the year, which I'll talk about and I'll have got my views and mm-hmm. everything. Never forget the number one driver of it is going to be the sort of emotional view of the market. And right now I can tell you it's pretty bullish, optimistic, greed is in town and pretty much it just wants to go up. That's that's the world we're in today. But but the rest of the year, the outlook for that is going to be driven. It's a bit like asking me, as I said, the thing it's asking me, what's the weather going to be like on Christmas Day? Yeah. Is it going to be warm? Is it going to be cold? Can I go for a walk? I can give you my view, but I don't know. And that's yeah. psychology of markets. And, and why I mentioned it particularly, and this comes back to the UK, actually, is there have been, you know, certainly the first half of the year, one of the defining things of it was you saw real proper speculative bubbles driven by retail type investors. You know, I hadn't seen that for a while, but it was there. So, so some parts of crypto, Bitcoin, that kind of thing, you can certainly see the a boom and a bust there. And then also there were some equities that just became completely divorced from reality. So the, the one that's most famous right now is a business called AMC, which is a US uh, cinema chain, which is worth, I don't know, maybe $20, $25 billion, even though nobody's going to the cinema and it's losing money. And that's simply because everyone's decided this is a fantastic opportunity and, it, and the price goes up and you buy it because the price goes up. So you're seeing a lot of this speculation. And I might say most of it is in the US again, and a bit in China too. And so the UK just doesn't have much of this stuff. So a lot of the fun that's being had and the money that's being made is not being made outside of here. 
Now, that's not a bad thing because the emotional stuff is riskier in, in the long term. You know, we're focused on the long term. The long term, it's just noise. Yeah. You want to get sucked into it. But but in the short term, which is the time horizon of a three-month letter, then, yeah, it, it does drive markets. So, But again, unfortunately, the UK is just not deemed to be sexist in air quotes. So um, it gets less of this kind of stuff. But it's, it's, it's interesting because from a financial planning perspective, we always will say to, say to clients that don't be influenced by short-term noise, focus on the longer-term objective. And yet so much of the market is influenced by short-term noise. And that either encourages or discourages people from investing money. Yeah, and, and like, every, like most things investing, you know what the right thing is. You can tell it to yourself, but still it's hard to do. So because <laughs> part of what happens is, and this is something I learned from doing the job, but part of what happens is I used to think that a thing happened good or bad and then the market went up or down. And that's sort of true. But also what happens is the market goes up, say, and then people are looking for good stories to write about. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. so the market goes up. So the market creates the news a bit. And it's very and then it's very, very similar. So if the market fell 10% next week, you would be reading stories about the Delta variant, how bad it was, um, the fact that prices were very high, and the fact that China was having a plant down, whatever it might be. It would create its own negative news cycle. And then what happens is if you're um, an investor or you don't pay too much attention to it, suddenly you'll pick up the paper and it's full of all these negative stories. You think, oh, my God, I've got to sell. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> so and, then you, and then I know that and that's part of the business. But even then, it's just, it is, yeah, it's just, you know, it's very hard to escape these things. Yeah, it's a, it's a perennial problem, certainly for us as advisors, because there are an awful lot of DIY investors out there who are, you know, quite, they're, they're entitled to do this. They're, they're trading on these direct consumer platforms. But I do wonder whether their decisions, investment decisions, are driven more by the short term emotion rather than focusing on the longer term objective. Yeah, I mean, the way I think about it is for those people, say they've got a sensible saving plan into a proper pension pot with decent advice and they're doing the right thing if they want to take five percent of that money and then um invest it play around with it trade it brilliant that's yeah. not a bad because you keep engaged yeah but have all of your money doing that you know in the long yeah. run it's that's just yeah there's and there's plenty plenty of um reports and research that we've done into that moving moving on or moving back to to a certain extent we, you touched earlier on about inflation and the concerns earlier this year about inflation perhaps running away with itself. That seems to have diminished now. Would you, would you tend to agree with that? Yes. Yeah, it has. And I'm not uh, so. So, for instance, interest rates have been falling. I think part of the reason is people think inflation has peaked. So there was a real spike coming out of uh, the pandemic. So if you think, you know, lockdowns happened in really the first quarter of 2020. Yeah, the lows for business activity was maybe April, May, and so if you roll forward to twelve months after that, then inflation numbers to be tend to be twelve months on twelve months. You've got very favourable comparisons, and suddenly it looks like everything's much more expensive versus twelve months ago. So, an example would be used cars or the yeah. uh, cost of hiring a car. So you could have hired a car for basically nothing twelve months ago, and now because a lot of the hire car companies went bust. Um, there's supply chain disruptions actually making cars for lots of sort of sensible reasons. It's suddenly very, very expensive. But, the, but equally, 
that's where we are in April and May. And then you have to think, well, where are we going to be in 12 months from now? Are higher cars going to be cheaper or more expensive 12 months from now? There's a lot of reasons to think they'll be cheaper because the higher car companies are slowly coming back. Car production should slowly coming back. You should get back to kind of normal things. So there's a sense that you've had the spike, the peak has come. Mm. And so 12 months out, inflation should start to fall uh, in absolute terms, but also fall closer to its normal range. If that happens, then I think the market in general, by which I mean how people are positioned and what interest rates look like and what bond yields look like, makes sense. That's what people are priced for. If inflation carries on surprising on the upside and and proves to be sticky, then I think we have the inflation problem people worry about. But right now, I haven't seen, it's just too early to say that. Although, although we are seeing issues with supply chains, aren't we? And also, to an extent, wage inflation, which both of those things could be a reason for rising prices. Yes. So if you think about, just come back to our position, so how we're invested. We think, also because there's a sort of seasonality, often going into, into year end, I think that interest rates are too low now. And there's, you know, and I think this sort of, the delta variant is kind of in the price so people are sort of learning to adjust to that a bit and then the china news i think the worst of that is done so i would expect inflation stories to start to come reappear um i think interest rates will go higher and and then a bit what we saw in the first half of the year the first quarter of the year to re-emerge and that's how we're positioned so we certainly think rates will go higher and we want to own some things that are exposed a bit to inflation beyond that i don't you know i reserve the right not to have a view I just I think we'll wait and see. And then if we see it go one way, we'll move our portfolio one way. And if we see it go the other, we'll move it the other. But but right now that's that's where we are. That sounds sounds a bit like the bond market might not be the place to be going forward. It's 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 not the place to be if you want to beat inflation, that's for sure. Because right. most high quality bonds have yields and your yield is mathematically what you're gonna make on your investment. Yeah. Two and a half percent. Two and a half percent is what people think inflation will be on average yeah. five to ten years. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, interesting. The, the other the other market, of course, that people get excited about is the property market. But people then seem to think about the residential property market as opposed to the commercial market, which of course is undergoing structural change because of people no longer necessarily needing the office space that they used to have. Yeah, the um, yes, it's very. I mean, property is very interesting to us. So so for our bespoke clients probably their best investment this year has been property but that's because there's really three bits to property there's kind of offices which like you say are question mark certainly i'm sitting in the city of london looking at a lot of very big empty offices right now and i don't know how long people it's going to come yeah. back yeah you've got retail which has got absolutely destroyed by the mm-hmm. pandemic and amazon and all of those things now it may be at or near a bottom i don't know but but you know, there's a lot of empty shops knocking around. Yes. And then you've got logistics or industrial warehouse, which are really the winners from the internet, the winners from um, all of this stuff, which have done unbelievably well. Yeah. So as long as you owned enough of the warehouse, not much of the retail, and then kept, kept some skin in the, in the office, you know, in the office market, you've done pretty well. But, um, but what it is not, I think, is a safe source of uh, guaranteed income. Because there's a no. lot. Of, you know, I think you have to know what you're doing. So, um, 
Yeah, there's a lot of landlords who are offering sort of lease-free periods and stuff, aren't there? And welcome payments and all that kind of thing, just to get tenants in their buildings. So it'll be quite yeah. interesting. So if where where do you think the dangers are over the next say six months or so? Then then Chris, what what do you think is the thing that's going to drive all the fear and the emotion coming up? I still think. Okay, the, the, the short answer to your question is there's two sorts of things that drive markets. Number one is surprises. And Neil, yeah. I can't, unfortunately, I can't, you know, no one can be, they're surprises, no. surprises for a reason, right? So, yeah, so they the, are surprises. Surprises are surprises, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So so in the short term, it's going to be typically a surprise. And I, and I don't know what that would be, right? But that aside, I think we've thought this for a while, is if you look at, say, the UK, and you look at, the interest rate market and this is where people put their money so this is not like someone's opinion if you want to bet against this you can bet against this but the market is basically telling you so i think the last time i looked the 10-year average interest rate on the 10-year bond was 0.6 percent yeah so what that's telling you is in 2030 whatever it is one um rates will still be like one percent in this country and they'll never go above one percent pretty much for the rest of my life mm. so in that world and the bond market has been pretty accurate and pretty right. And it's been right here. It's been right in Japan for a long time. So I just don't think you can dismiss it as being crazy or wrong. If that is true, then I think all assets that produce a decent return above inflation are correctly priced today, even though they're expensive and could become more expensive. And I'm thinking about uh, you know, an equity that gives you a decent yield, property we were talking about, the right sorts of property yielding five or six, um, or generally, you know, most investment markets away from bonds. So so then I think the world makes sense, and there's a lot of upside, actually. And you asked me about the FTSE 100, could it do another 20% year? I think easily, if that sort of environment stays in place. The risk is that inflation becomes stickier, rates rise, interest rates rise, and then, you know, say you can get two, three, four percent on deposit for your cash, then that's a different world. Because yeah. then, you know, why, why do I need to own a dividend equity paying me 4% if I can get 4% cash? Why do I need all the liquidity and hassle and costs of property if I can make a bit of money? Yeah. So I think that's the, that's 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 what, because again, we think in the longer term. So we think about three, five, 10 year time horizon for our clients. And are they likely to make the 5% or whatever it is per annum they penciled in? Yeah. I think the answer is yes for most of them, but that's your risk. Is. Yes. Yeah. Well, Chris, that's been very useful. Thank you very much for your time this morning. I think um, our clients who listen to this podcast will find that enormously helpful. Um, hopefully we can have you back again because it's always interesting to hear what you have to say. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. And thank you for inviting me back. So thank you for inviting me on as well. No, real, a real, a real pleasure. And for our listeners, thank you very much for listening to our podcast today. We hope you found it of interest and look forward to you joining us again for future podcasts. Take care.